invite you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 20. I'll be reading verses 1 through 8. There are times when a, a broad look at a chapter uncover uh, a detail or un- uncover a subject that deserves further attention. And that's been the case uh, for me this week in thinking about the relationship between Jonathan and David. And so I've decided to uh, to pause and to dig deeper on that subject today. I'll read verses 1 through 8 of 1 Samuel 20. Then David fled from Nioth and Ramah and went and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? So Jonathan said to him, By no means, you shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. David took an oath again and said, Your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your, serv- as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. So Jonathan said to David, Whatever you yourself desire, I will do it for you. And David said to Jonathan, Indeed, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit with the king to eat. But let me go that I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked permission of me that he might run over to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. If he says thus, it is well, your servant will be safe. But if he is very angry, be sure that evil is determined by him. Therefore, you shall deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there is iniquity in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? Last week, as I looked at this chapter as a whole, I preached on the role of the covenant. It is the foundation of our confidence in salvation. And as we saw in this passage, it also forms a moral compass that guides our decisions in all of the various aspects of our life. And I pointed out how it guided Jonathan. By faith, he aligned himself with the covenant-making and covenant-keeping God of Israel. And he also aligned himself with the king that God had chosen, with David. And that covenant provides the foundation for, uh, for really a remarkable relationship, a bond of friendship formed and maintained between Jonathan and David. And throughout the week, I've had several opportunities to talk to members of the congregation about this remarkable relationship. Because of this, as I said, I've decided to pause and to dig a little deeper on this and to develop a biblical view of friendship, along with the attitudes and the behaviors that tear down relationships. So today, my message is going to be on the topical side of a sermon rather than a verse-by-verse exposition and application. And I also want you to know that while friendship 
can be applied broadly to all sorts of relationships. From David and Jonathan, I want to apply it especially to the bond of brotherly love between men. I'm not doing this to exclude women or children or anything like this, but I do this because of that relationship that is shared between Jonathan and David, and because of the sense that I have that our culture has lost its moorings about what it means to be a man in general and what the benefit is for men to have trusted Christian friends in their lives. So by way of intro, let me briefly remind you of the descriptions of those friendships that come between Jonathan and David. The text first calls attention to it back in chapter 18. This is where it says that Jonathan loved David as he loved his own soul. And now in chapter 20, when David was in trouble, he turned to Jonathan because of that bond of love because of the covenants, the agreement that they had made between each other. I want you to notice here in chapter 20, verse 8, David says, Therefore you shall deal kindly with your servant, because of the covenant that we have sworn together. You shall deal kindly with your servant. And that word kindness is is a word that has really a rich tradition and the rest of scripture. It is rightly defined kindness here, but in other places, it is used to describe the faithful covenantal love that God himself has for us. It's that word that is repeated here in the relationship between David and Jonathan. It's as if David brings God, God's love for us to describe what he is asking of Jonathan. What is that kind of love? Would you, if you were to do a word search on it, you would find that God shows love to his children. He shows faithful, loyal love. He deals with us as, as, as his own loved children. He hears our prayers. He keeps his promises towards us. He redeems us from our sins. He corrects us when we err. He washes us and cleanses us. This is the type of love that that word is describing and then is used of what David asks of Jonathan. He appeals for him to show godlike, faithful, loyal love to him. And Jonathan responds in kind. He responds with godlike, faithful love. So much so that once again, David and Jonathan covenant together to protect each other, to, uh, to be genuine friends, and that that friendship would extend to the generations that follow after them as well. And finally, I'll remind you that When Jonathan died, David said, I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. And remember, like I said in chapter 18, that some have jumped to the conclusion from this type of description that Jonathan and David must have been homosexual. 
They go on to say that two men cannot be just friends. There must be something romantic and sexual that is implied here. But this is a false assumption. It wipes away every other type of love and every other type of bond of friendship that may be found. And it fails to grasp the depth and the power of a biblical brotherly love, a love that can and does stand on its own without any sexual overtones. Jonathan and David's friendship is an example of this. That's why David came to Jonathan, because he knew of the faithful love that Jonathan had for him, and he was confident that he could trust that, that he could trust this brother from another mother, we might say today, that this brother would deal with him well and faithfully because of the friendship of, uh, we're even uncomfortable using the word love between men, aren't we? Because of the love that Jonathan and David had for each other. So David trusted him with his very life. He could ask for counsel, for help, and trust that Jonathan would deal with him truthfully, even to the point of judging him if he has done wrong. With this in mind, I want to go now to describe the depth and the power of such a biblical brotherly love that is put on display by Jonathan and David. And I'll say again that this is a much-needed aspect in your life, to have a friend that you can trust. Remember, this can be applied broadly, and, uh, uh, and, uh, and, and I hope that you do so. Uh, there, there's a similar type of bond uh, that, that women share together, that, that young people share together, and friendship in general, uh, male and female, that, that is shared But today, because of Jonathan and David, I'm going to make specific application for the need for men to have trusted friends. So I'm going to present what the Bible teaches about about friendship and about the attitudes and behaviors that war against it. I'm going to do so uh, not comprehensively, but by introducing you to to four different men. kind of following in the steps of Pilgrim's Progress. I'm going to give them names that will be descriptive of them and let them be a a teaching tool for us that will gather together what the Bible says about friendship and those things that threaten it. The first is a negative example. Society drills into you that you can't trust anybody. You have to do it yourself. You've been betrayed before and you'll be betrayed again. So you can't trust anybody. So I'm going to give this man the name Mr. Turtle. Uh, And I, I hope the Oh, especially the children will catch on to this. This is Mr. Turtle. What does a turtle do when it's in danger? It's crawling along, uh, 
and all of a sudden uh, they see uh, an eagle swooping down to try to catch it. What does it do? Its head and its arms and its legs go into its shell. And that's what Mr. Turtle does. He's been hurt. He's been betrayed, genuinely betrayed and hurt. And so he's bought into the lie that you can't trust anybody. And so from inside his shell, he looks at the world that he doesn't allow anyone else to come in. And he never lets any other counsel come into his life because he's just bound to get hurt again. So he holds up in his shell. But it is a lie. A lie that you can't trust anybody. I'm going to cut to the chase here because the one and only one that you can ultimately trust is Jesus Christ. And an attitude of mistrust digs away at that fundamental, foundational aspect of the Christian faith that you must trust someone. You must. You must cast yourself upon the Lord Jesus Christ to save you because you cannot save yourself. Because Jesus is the one and only Savior. To cast it into uh, the, the context of friendship, Proverbs tells us that there is one who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 18.24. And that's Solomon pointing forward to Jesus. For out of love for you, Jesus came to be your Savior. Out of love for you, the Father sent his Son. Out of love, the Son laid down his life for you. For greater love has no one than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. John 15. No matter what, you can trust Jesus. And you must trust Jesus. And I pray that you do. For Christ will not fail you. In fact, no matter how much you have failed him, Christ's love is faithful. He will not leave you or forsake you. That's his promise, and that's a reality. And in this life, Christian brothers mirror this trustworthiness. Now, of course, Christian brothers can't do that perfectly. In fact, you shouldn't expect them to do it perfectly. But you can find genuine, trustworthy friends. You may think that you can't trust anybody. You may have been burned by a friend that betrayed you in the past, 
And you may now be so jaded about opening up to others that you scoff at this and you cling to your shell and retreat into it over and over again. But you need a friend that you can trust. And in God's goodness, he's not only given you Christ, but he has placed you in a community. He has placed you in relationship. He has made you to be in relationship with others. He has made you to trust others and to be trustworthy yourself to them. And he calls you to that. You need these things that God provides. It is part of the grace that the Lord gives. It's one of the means that, that, that we are built up in our holy faith, that we walk this path together, not alone, together. And there is a mutual encouragement that we find by having a trusted friend. A friend that helps to bear your burdens. A friend like David and Jonathan found. One that you could go to and that would listen when you were in need. That would offer counsel and help. That would speak truthfully into that situation. And too often men retreat into their shell buying into that lie that they can't trust anywhere, anyone. But remember that the Lord has given you friends. As Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. That's Mr. Turtle and the, uh, the behavior and the attitudes that threaten godly, brotherly love. The second man is also a negative example. He also has concluded that he can't trust anybody or anything, but for different reasons. I'm going to call this Mr. Self-Reliant, Mr. Self-Made Man. This time... Mr. Self-Reliance, independence doesn't come because he's retreated into his shell because somebody has hurt, hurt him. Instead, it comes from his own pride. He's bought into a lie as well, and this lie is the cultural idea of the self-made man. The one who is strong, who doesn't need anybody or anything. He has a mantra. Be a man. Don't be weak. Don't show those emotions. No sissy crying. Be a man. But those attitudes are really growing up out of the sin of pride, the sin of arrogance, the sin of self-reliance. Now, don't get me wrong, it's good to be a hard worker. It's good to have initiative and drive to have vision, to have a go-getter spirit. But what I'm talking about is a pride that 
comes to look down on everyone else around you and tends to isolate you from others. Proverbs consistently warns against the sin of pride and the bitter fruit that comes from it. Wisdom calls in the street. Wisdom, Jesus Christ himself, uh, in a sense personified by wisdom, cries out, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth, I hate, says wisdom. Pride and arrogance. And in the end, pride elevates a man in his own eyes. It elevates yourself so that you can come to elevate yourself against God himself. The proud man today, the self-reliant man says today, I don't need that crutch of religion. I don't need God. And if you would dare to elevate yourself against God, it's a no-brainer to say that you will elevate yourself against other people as well. If you don't need God, you don't need anybody else in this life either. And you can imagine how that drives other people away. No wonder that Solomon identifies this in Proverbs again, that from pride comes nothing but strife, Proverbs 13.10. And pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Chapter 16, 18. That's what comes from the philosophy, be a man, proudly isolates you. Instead, godly friends practice humility. This comes from a realization that you are not, you really aren't the be-all and end-all. That's putting it from a human perspective, the theological perspective is that you have to realize that you too are a sinner that is utterly dependent upon God's grace every every single day of your life. And rising up out of that realization comes humility, comes this, the, the the acknowledgement that, that I am a great sinner and that, that I, am, I am who I am because God has shown me mercy. And out of that humility comes not only a realization and a right attitude about yourself, but then an overflow of humility towards those around you. Solomon notes this as well in Proverbs, that out of humility, or because of uh, humility, the Lord pours out honor on the humble, chapter 15, 33. And he gives wisdom, eleven twenty two and life, 22, 4. The Lord loves the humble and lifts them up. This is what a godly man is. This is what a godly friend is. These are friends that you can trust. These are friends that you must trust and the type of friend that you must be. You'll find that as you, as you 
give such trust to others that these friends will not be a sign of your weakness. Instead, they will make you stronger. Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. You can envision that, right? You're walking together and, and you stumble and fall. And your friend lifts you up. And Solomon goes on, but woe to him is, who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him get up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm, warm alone? The one may be overcome by another. Two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. This is what David and Jonathan discovered. Their remarkable relationship had this type of companionship built into it. Out of humility, they looked to each other to show covenant, faithful love to each other. And they saw that as a strength, not a weakness. And they didn't stand up one against the other and, and say, I don't need you. Instead, they depended on each other. They trusted each other. Mr. Self-Reliant falls, and there's no one to help him. The third man is, unfortunately, also another negative example. I'm calling him Mr. Influencer. That's a new job title today, isn't it? Did you know that you could list as your job description on your on your CV that you're an influencer? Your resume says, I... I'm an influencer. Well, it's actually nothing new, is it? It isn't. The Bible talks about those who influence you. In Proverbs chapter 1, Solomon says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Do not be influenced. He goes on then to describe what those sinners are wanting to entice you to do. He says, the friends say, come with us. Come on, come on, come on, come on. We're going to lie in wait for someone's blood. Come on. And you think that on paper the response would be, really? You're inviting me to go with you to commit murder? Solomon's really wise here, isn't he? The friends you gather around you will influence you for good or evil. They will. Paul echoes the same thing in the New Testament. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Proverbs continue to warn. Make no friendship with an angry man. 
And with a furious man do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. Proverbs 22, 24. And in chapter 12, 26, the righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. Mr. Influencer stands as a warning to you as to the friends that you choose, the friends that you gather around you. And I'm going to set against him the fourth man. This one I'll name Mr. Faithful. This is a man like Jonathan. Mr. Faithful will stand beside you even in difficult times. He will listen to you. He will encourage you. He will give you faithful counsel. He will even call you out when you need it. As Proverbs 27, 9 says, Ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. That sounds a lot like how the, how, how the Bible describes Jonathan and David, does it? doesn't it? There's the sweetness, the smell of perfume, the love that is greater than the love of a woman. There's nothing sexual here. There is a deep and abiding and beautiful nature to this type of love that comes from trusted, faithful friends. Because a faithful friend is is interested in in your well-being, especially your spiritual well-being. See, you don't choose friends to hang out with for other reasons. You'll walk down the path of Mr. Influencer, and you'll be persuaded to go and to lie in wait for innocent blood. Or you'll be choosing your friends to use them to climb the social ladder. But that's not friendship. That's, that's using that other person. Maybe you've had that experience yourself, that somebody buddies up to you. Because you're actually a friend of Mr. Big Shot over here. And through you, they can get to him. And that just feels dirty almost, doesn't it? to be used by someone else that way. Mr. Faithful is interested in you. He's interested in your spiritual well-being, even to the point where, if need be, he can say and does say hard things, maybe in confrontation of some sinful attitude or action, maybe in holding you accountable. And believe me, it hurts to be corrected. But faithful are the wounds of a friend. Proverbs 27, 6. Did you hear that? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. That means you need to seek out such men. One or two trusted men who are faithful faithful to God, and faithful to you as a friend. This is part of God's gift to you. It's part of a means of grace 
to have the word of the Lord brought to you in another form as a friend who listens to you. It means you need to give room to them in your life. You need to let them in your shell. You need to humble yourself to seek out those that will influence you for good, like Mr. Faithful. You need to let them share their experiences to speak into your lives. You also need to let them know your weaknesses, your fears, your doubts, your temptations and failings, knowing that you can trust them. They're not going to think less of you. They're not going to hold you at arm's length because they love you. And you come to trust them that, 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 that it, when they really know you, they're not going to turn you away. That's a gift from God to have such a friend. Let them praise what is praiseworthy as well. You can trust that it's not flattery. There's a place for that. And let them challenge you and, if need be, correct you from God's word because you know and trust that they genuinely love you. I titled the sermon as Iron Sharpens Iron. It comes from Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. That's the type of friendship that Jonathan and David shared. That's the bond of love that is, is really missed in today's society. It misses the concept that, that two men can be friends without any sexual overtones. And that that bond is, is biblical, it is powerful, and it is sanctifying. The Lord uses it for your good. I'll conclude by calling your attention once more to the truest and trust, uh, the truest friend, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For this is the type of love that he has shown to each and every one of you, men and women, old and young, that in Christ he has shown faithful, loyal, covenant love. You can trust him in your weakness. You can trust him in your failings. You can trust him in his words of commendation and praise. You can trust him in his correction, for he is your savior and your friend. He does indeed love you with a biblical, enduring, faithful love. Praise God for that. Amen. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you for giving us genuine friendships here in this life. We are running a race, looking to you as our Savior. And as we run that race, thank you that you 
give us companions to run that race together. Those that will lift us up when we stumble. Those that will bear our burdens with us. Those that will encourage and correct and confront and comfort and, and, and lift us up. God, thank you for giving us such friends. And I pray that we would conform our lives so that we too would show the love that we have received from our Savior Jesus Christ to others. May we recognize it in the friendships that we seek out, in the friendships that we form in this life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We'll sing together Psalm 15, Selection A. In this psalm, there is a, uh, there's a question that this psalm begins with. Who can stand in, in your presence, O Lord, within your tent? Who will reside? And it goes on to describe those whose walk is blameless, who act righteously, and uh, there's, there's, uh, he does no harm to his friend. There's a trustworthiness. Uh, remember that, that this is a psalm that, that lifts our eyes to Christ, who is that perfect and truest friend. He is the one who does this perfectly. Sing it, recognizing Christ. And then also recognize that as Christ followers, that he equips us to do this as well, genuinely. And I pray that it would be our prayer that we would find such friends and be such friends as well as we look to Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. Stand and sing 15a.